Jan Swift, and you're listening to Discover Lafayette, a podcast dedicated to the people and rich culture of Lafayette, the gateway to South Louisiana. We taped Discover Lafayette with the support of Raider, a managed IT service provider that offers world-class service, including cybersecurity, communications, and technology support. With Raider, you have just one vendor and one number to call, allowing you to concentrate on what is most important your business. For more information, visit RaiderSolutions.com. Today, we welcome Kay Turner, Executive Director of CASA. CASA stands for Court Appointed Special Advocates. CASA advocates are trained community volunteers appointed by a judge to serve as a child's voice in court. They represent the best interest of abused or neglected children during juvenile court and child protection proceedings. CASA is a nonprofit organization with both private and public funding sources. CASA volunteers work on behalf of foster children in Acadia, Lafayette, and Vermilion Parishes. I met Cade when I was honored as a superhero of CASA in 2022. Needless to say, the real superheroes are the ones who work tirelessly for our foster children in the courtroom setting and for those who work at CASA, such as you, Cade. Thank you for joining us on Discover Lafayette. Thank you, Jen. I'm glad to be here today with you. I've been looking forward to this opportunity. Um, I had interviewed Heather Blanchard maybe a couple years ago, and she's since moved into the executive director of United Way. Mm -hmm. And I know you've ably filled her shoes. And as we've spoken about privately, this is such a huge need in our community. Absolutely. So before we get into what you're doing, I'd Mm -hmm. like you to share yourself, like your your background, your heart, what led you to this work. Absolutely. So, well, Jan, I'm from initially from Thibodeau, Louisiana. Uh, I was born and raised there, spent uh, all of my childhood and young adult uh, life there until I got graduated from high school in 2012. Uh, then I came to UL that fall, uh, and I've been in Lafayette ever since, and mm-hmm. kind of just never left. That's great. Yeah, it's, it's one of those uh, things where I'm not too far from home, but mom and dad still has to call first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, they don't just pop it that's up. That's right. <laughs> uh, Sounds it, like my kids. That's yeah. right. It, it, it's really uh, just the community itself is what I really love about mm-hmm. being out here compared to Thibodeau. Thibodeau is a really nice community, small town, um, very family oriented. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lafayette is a little bit bigger scope than that, but it's not too big, you know? So that's what I think I really enjoyed the most about Lafayette. Uh, so like I said, I went to UL in 2012, graduated in 2017 with a deg- what? degree in mass communications. Oh, okay. Yes. Perfect. So uh, I initially wanted to do broadcasting, believe it or not. I wanted to do uh, some sports broadcasting. I did some internships mm-hmm. with uh, KETC Channel 3. Um, and then it, I think it was just one of those things that as I kept going a little further in my degree, the more I realized that I was like, mm, I don't know if broadcasting is necessarily the thing that I'm passionate about, mm-hmm. you know? And so what I did was I took, instead of just focusing on the concentration of broadcasting, I looked more at just the mass communication part. I'm like, what can I do there that would actually help me do something that's a little bit more to my passion. Uh, And so I also do two summer camps every summer. Uh, One is for children with pulmonary disorders and one is for children with blood disorders. So ever since I was eight years old, I've been going to the pulmonary camp because of my own asthma that I have. And when I turned 15, I joined staff with that camp. Uh, And from that point on, I just kind of been doing that every year. In fact, we just completed uh, our sessions this past summer, and this was my 23rd. Actually, this was my 21st overall camp uh, that I've been doing with them. That's amazing. Yeah, and it's it's really cool. I love it. Um, Is that back home? It's actually located at the Lions campsite, the Louisiana Lions campsite in Anacoca, Louisiana, out there in Vernon Parish. Uh, But the people that run camp is based out of New Orleans. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, like I said, I've been doing that ever since I was eight years old. When I turned 15, I joined staff. Uh, From there, I was a counselor in training, moved my way up to a general counselor, a head counselor, all the way up to now what I do now with camp is I'm a unit leader, which is basically I'm in charge of the entire boys' uh, quarters of camp. Uh, So I oversee 
not just the kids, but also oversee now our counselors as well. And so I see my, I tell people I oversee my kids and I oversee my kids' kids because mm-hmm. I'm 28, about to be 29 and next week, in fact. Uh, and I'm overseeing both the five to 14 year olds along with oh the, gosh. along with the 15, got your hands the full. 15 to 23 year olds that's supposed to watch out for them. They're all got asthma <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. 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 And, and, and not all of our staff too members. Far, yes, you know? <laughs> exactly. But, and we're very fortunate. What's cool about that is we're very fortunate to actually have a medical team that is there throughout the entire week. So oh, for pulmonary camp, we have, uh, uh, respiratory therapists, nurses, and doctors who are there throughout the entire week to just ensure that we are taking well care of these children and giving them all of the care that they need mm-hmm. so that they could have for at least once a week out of their life to feel like a normal right. child, right. you know? Uh, and so then when I think I turned 18, uh, back in like 2014, uh, 18, 19, I was started doing our other camp that's kind of ran by the same directors uh, and a lot of the same staff members are there, but just different kids, which is for blood disorders. And mm-hmm. so that is children who have uh, sickle cell anemia, children who are fighting pediatric cancer. Uh, it's the, pretty much the same thing that they get to come to this camp, full medical staff there for them as well. For that, We all volunteer our time for this one week summer camp. Uh, and we give these children, like we said, a week that they would not normally get back at home because of their medical conditions. So your your heart yeah. is really in helping children. <laughs> that's it. That's it. So you you were in mass communications. I'm going to include in our show notes, you're going to let me know about these two camps so we can Absolutely. let people know what they are. But did you knew then as a very young adult that you didn't want to be in TV, but you wanted to serve, it sounds like. Yeah, I think so. You know, uh, it was one of those things, too, in 2017 when I got out of school, it was like, okay, I need a job. Like, something mm-hmm. needs to happen now that— yep, pay for uh, gas. Th- th- yep. Pay for gas, pay for yep. rent, and all of this stuff. And uh, it was like, what am I going to do? And, uh, and so I kind of just started talking around with people, and I was kind of just filling some people out. <laughs> Kenneth Boudreaux was mm-hmm. actually the person that— uh, actually reached out to me and said, hey, Kate, I need you to come to my office. I think I have an opportunity for you. Well, at the time, Kenneth Boudreaux was city parish councilman. That's mm-hmm. all I knew Kenneth Boudreaux to do mm-hmm. at the time. Well, so he's a radio guy. That's you know, right. Besides radio, guy, yeah, and everything yeah. else, too. Mm-hmm. But I was like, uh, okay, I don't know if I, I didn't know if I really want to work in government <laughs> at the time, neither. So I said, uh, okay, I'll, I'll, hey, I'll come see what he has. And so uh, I visit him at this office building that kind of actually looks like apartment complex right here off of La Rue, France. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wasn't really familiar with where I was. And so I walk in the building, um, you know, very small staff. And so I was able to kind of just walk into the back without anybody even noticing me. And I walked back to Kenneth's office and me and Kenneth just started talking. And that's when he was telling me about CASA. Oh, I see. And Did he so, work with juvenile? Yeah, well, he was, Kenneth issues. was the executive director at the time as well. Of CASA? Yes. Oh, I didn't even know yes, that. Yes, yes, yes. He oh, was there for- uh, for juvenile uh, issues. That's right, for the uh-huh. D office. Uh, but this was this little short thing that he had with CASA mm. before he went over there to the sheriff's office. I see, okay. And so he brought me in. He was like, hey, well, look, Based off your background, you know, we really need somebody to be our community development coordinator. So what you basically is doing is stuff like this basically is Mm -hmm. doing media appearances and um, just kind of bringing the community awareness about our program and what it is that we do. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I was like, man, this is actually pretty cool because of the fact that one— I'm still kind of doing mass comm stuff, you know, mm-hmm. so still a little bit because I, I did like the art of mass comm. I just wasn't really a big fan of broadcasting itself, but I still love the art of mass comm of creating and putting packages together and that kind of stuff. Uh, but just actual TV broadcasting was not something that I, that I saw myself continuing to do. Uh, and at the same time, though, I'm doing that and I'm. Um, Doing stuff that, that involves the direct work of kids, mm-hmm. you know, of helping kids, which I was still passionate about. Like I said, talking about right. camp and everything. Um, so from all of that, it was like, man, this is like the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I 
can't see myself really being in any other position or any other role or with any other organization. Uh, and so that's just really kind of how things got started. I started in CASA in September 2017. By May of 2019, Heather was our executive director by then. Heather had decided she wanted me to serve as the lead advocate supervisor. So I oversee our other advocate supervisors on staff at that time and continue to do some program management. Heather started really, Heather is really good at delegating. <laughs> <laughs> and so she's, she's that's right, that's right. And so she'll give me like some little things to do here and there that was program management. I didn't know it at the time, but uh, I was being groomed and and prepared. And so uh, in 2020, we created our management agreement with United Way of Acadiana. And so now that's where we're currently housed. And Mm -hmm. uh, that has been a great relationship that we've had with them. Uh, In June of 2022, uh, Heather moved into the role of CEO and president of United Way of Acadiana. Uh, So she had to give up her role Mm -hmm. as executive director of CASA. And that caused for me to move up. Well, I'm glad glad that all worked out. It was a win-win. That's right. I want you to paint a picture. You've already painted a picture of your heart Mm -hmm. and your abilities. Would you paint a picture for us of the typical child that might end up either in juvenile court or child protection proceedings? What what happens in a child's life to get to this point? Absolutely. So, you know, one thing— I would say about this whole thing with with CASA is, like I said, we advocate for children that's been abused and neglected. All of our children that we serve has currently what's called a child in need of care case. And so those are the cases where children have either been removed from the home and now are in a foster placement or a relative placement, whatever it may be. Um, We have some cases to where, you know, the state is involved, the Department of Children and Family Services is involved with those cases. But they feel that the safety of the child was not being threatened. So they continue to let the child reside in the home of those parents, but they were monitoring those. And so we are, we have CASA volunteers on those kind of cases as well. It's one of those things I tell people all the time, the toughest job that I think would have to be in this kind of line of work is to be a Department of, Chan- Department of Children and Family Services investigator, who mm-hmm. are the people who, when they get that call and say, hey, Something, something is going on at this house. We need you to go in and check Mm -hmm. to see what's going on, ask questions. Mm -hmm. And so on top of that, that person has to go down there, check to see what's going on. Don't know what they're going to get themselves into. And if it's to the point where that, that investigator has to determine that these children are not safe here, then they have to make that call to a judge. Sometimes that call is 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, late. At night, waking up judge to say, hey, we need a verbal order order to Uh say that it's okay for us to remove this child. This is what's going on. It can be a verbal order and not a court order. Yes. Uh, That's a big thing, though, to do that. Exactly. And what's so interesting, and that's why I say it's so hard for, to me, I don't know, it's it's the toughest job to be a DCFS investigator because on top of that, now you're having to deal with all of this. You have adults who are mad, upset because you're about to take their children away. And not only are they mad or upset, but you have these children who are now scared, Mm -hmm. like freaking out, because now you're telling them, mom and dad is not a safe place for you to stay. You need to come with us. Who are you, right? Right? Like, who are you? And now you're telling me my mom and dad is not safe, and now I have to leave here? Don't let there not have any relative placement for them to go to. So not only are you leaving here, but we're about to move you into a complete stranger's home. Talk about the amount of trauma in mm-hmm. just those 24 hours in that child's life. That's not even counting the amount of trauma that the child might have been experienced with right. the abuse and neglect before. Right. But just coming in there, in that point, that's why I say as a DCFS investigator, I don't know how they do it. Because as much trauma, they're not initially trying to cause, but their job calls for them to do it. Mm-hmm. And they're understaffed. I mean, this has been right. in the news so much in yes. Louisiana, understaffed. And also, if they don't take a child out, and then the child, you know, several children they go, had they died. They face consequences for that. They yeah. face consequences for that. Yes, it's really yes. a thankless but very necessary exactly. chore. Exactly. So while we're on this train mm-hmm. of thought, you said the children may be taken to a home, a stranger's home. Mm-hmm. Are homes lined up? Or do they? is there like a— no. 
a group home or where, where do they go in the middle oh, of the night so, if someone's And that's a great taken. question, Jan. Um, homes are not lined up. You know, the, the state of Louisiana is looking right now for people to get certified and become foster parents. Um, we have a lot of, as long as you have an opening spot in your, in your home and you can take that child, they'll put as many children with you as possible. You know, if they think that you can handle it. So sometimes we have foster parents who have maybe four or five kids, and it's for three to four different cases. Oh my goodness! You know, and it could be that. That's beautiful. Or, um, and to take it to this perspective too, if we have a case where there's five to seven children, maybe on that case, great chance that all five or seven of those children would not be placed in the same home mm. as you could imagine. So you have. Two children who's placed here, maybe out here in, in Crowley. You have another child that's placed in Ville Platte. You have two more children who could be placed in Morgan City. And, and it's like all of these children are spread apart. Just two weeks ago, they was together going to the same schools and everything. You and at know? least they had each other. At least they had each other. And yeah. now they split them up. And then you got the, my, my main concern is this one child who is by themselves in Ville Platte. Because they're just by themselves. At least his siblings over here, at least they have another sibling with them. That's the one that's over here in Crowley and the one, the two that's over here in Morgan City. At least they have each other. But this one child in Ville Platte, who is just by themselves, mm -hmm. is even a greater concern. Uh, so to answer your question, Jan, know that we don't have uh, enough foster homes. We could always use more foster homes across the state of Louisiana. There's about 4,500 children that's in foster care or have an open child in need of care case at this point. Um, in just the three parishes that we serve of Lafayette, Vermillion, and Acadia Parish, you're looking at about maybe 330, 340 of those children. Mm -hmm. And majority of those children are right here in Lafayette. Um, I, I tell people this all the time. It's like, you don't know who these kids are. You know, they could be kids that are in the same classroom as your kids mm -hmm. or your grandchildren or your nieces and nephews, and you don't even know it. You're not supposed to know who they mm -hmm. are. But just take that into consideration that this child, when he goes home, when he or she goes home, she's not going home to the same type of lifestyle that your child may be going home to. Uh, and so it, it, it really is challenging for a lot of our kids to have to deal with this kind of trauma. And it's one of those things that we always try to address too as well while they're in the state's custody is, how can we try to address some of the trauma that they're currently going through right now? So let me ask you this. So mm -hmm. the, the agency that's really in charge is the Children and Family Services, the Correct. Louisiana the, Department. The, the state of Louisiana, through the uh -huh. Department of Children and Family Services, they're the ones that majority of the time have custody, legal right. custody of the children. Yes. And then the CASA volunteers mm -hmm. become the voice. They help the children maintain their voice in an adult world. Correct. So can you talk about that? So let's say the child, we've got the children that have been split up. They're mm -hmm. already traumatized. These CASA volunteers, the advocates, are, mm -hmm. are crucial. Yes, absolutely. So talk about that, how that partnership absolutely. works. Well, so let, let, let's go back a little bit, if you don't mind. If we could just go back to thinking about, like I said, we talked about DCFS. We talked about the caseworkers, um, them being short-staffed, them being overworked, right? Your, your average caseworker may have about 15 children that they have just on their caseload. Uh, and that's probably here in Lafayette Parish. And some of the smaller parishes might not be as effective. But— in those smaller parish, you're also looking at where they having to borrow some neighboring parishes, caseworkers, just to help them with their caseload. You have all of this going on, and they can't manage just one family and just have their sole focus on, one on this one family. They have the other 14 families that they have to work with as well. On top of that, with a child who comes into this situation— they have an attorney for themselves. They have their caseworkers. They have the foster parents. They have the judge. They have the other attorneys that's in the courtroom. Yeah, all of these different faces that, oh, and, and all of these different people that's constantly meeting with this child. But that's why we bring. That's why we have CASA involved because CASA is usually that one constant face in the child's life. Child's attorney. Let me tell you, since I've been with CASA since 2017, right? Uh, the children's attorneys that we have had between these parishes, 
I could probably count up to 10 of them, 10 different attorneys at a time, right? Parents attorneys, they switch in and out. Uh, our ADA, who we have in Lafayette Parish, this is, I believe, the third ADA that we're on in assistant, Lafayette. Assistant District, District Attorney. Attorney yes. For, for, for child for, services. Yes, yes. Uh, and then the caseworkers. Caseworkers are are quitting and, and, mm-hmm. and leaving the department because of the demand of the work that they have to do. And so children are getting new caseworkers all the time. And the reason for all of that, I mean, I can't give you actual defining reason of all that, but just thinking about the fact that a child is seeing all these different faces all the time. But that one constant person that comes and sees them every month is that volunteer because judge recognizes the one that this child needs some kind of consistency in his or her life. And two, because there's these people who have all of these other things on their plate, other families on their plates, he needs somebody that is just solely focused on this one family, this one or two, three children that's in this family and nothing else at this time. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times our CASA volunteers, they don't only serve in on one case at a time. It's very rare that we have a CASA volunteer serving on two cases unless there's like this one case that's we know we're, direction we're heading in in the next couple of months, we're getting ready to close. And we'll even ask the CASA volunteer mm-hmm. first, do you feel comfortable taking another case right. before we go ahead and let this case close out or whatever it may be? Uh, but like I said, CASA volunteers, their only focus is only on that mm-hmm. one family compared to the caseworker who has 13 other families compared to the child's attorney in the parish who represents half, one child attorney may represent more than half of the children total that's in need of care. Not even just the ones on the docket that day, yeah. but all of the children that's in need of care in Lafayette Parish. There may be two attorneys that have to split them and mm-hmm. always making those phone calls to different children, all children's families all the time to just find out information. A lot of times our, our attorneys, they'll call us because that they'll know that they know that the CASA volunteer has a lot of information that they're going to need that's going to help them fight in court. Is the conversation though between the volunteer and the child is is that privileged in any way? You know what I'm saying? Is right. this too legal to be asking? Correct. No, no, no. It's actually a great question. Um, it's not privileged to where other people that's involved in the case they can hear. Uh-huh. They 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 have no. They'll be able to know what kind of conversations are being held. Plus, our volunteers they have to composite a court mm-hmm. report every every time they go to court every three months or so. Uh, for any time we have a review hearing or a permanency hearing, CASA volunteers write a court report that they provide to the judge, and so the, all the attorneys have access to that report as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that report really just consists of the information that they have gathered from the foster parents, the bio parents, the bio, uh, the, the child themselves. Uh, CASA volunteers being that they are appointed and they have a court order, they have access to the child's medical records. I see. The child's uh, educational records. It's almost like a family member in uh, some ways. Exactly, huh? exactly. And they, they the have they rights. The child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have those rights. Uh-huh. Uh, and so they, they we expect them to mm-hmm. always go get, like we said, that firsthand knowledge yeah. instead of just hearsay from one person to another. It's like, okay, if the doctor had a had a visit with the child last week because of something that the child, I don't know, chicken pox, let's just uh-huh. throw that out there. Um, you know, we'll tell the advocate, hey, I want you to go to the doctor's office, talk with either a nurse practitioner or the doctor themselves to get an update on how that child is doing. And, that, and so that information all gets put in a court report and it's presented to those that's involved in court. But... Mm-hmm. Child in need of care cases, just like juvenile cases, it, it is a juvenile case. Those are closed court. And so all of it is confidential. We can't really tell any information as, in regards to a child that we may be serving. Mm-hmm. We can get statistics, but as far as like actual details, information, you know, none of our advocates, they bear, they understand completely that it's all confidential. So to be an advocate mm-hmm. for CASA, it's a commitment. It sounds like it's an emotional mm-hmm. commitment. It's a time commitment. Mm-hmm. And I was reading on your website that people that want to volunteer, they can go to Casa, what is it, of Sola? Casa of Sola, yes. Yeah. C-A-S-A. S-O-L-A. Yes. So you can look up the the what, what's recommended, but mm-hmm. you need to be able to serve at least two years, I guess, to mm-hmm. keep that consistency mm-hmm. you're talking about be able to provide 10 to 15 hours each month, mm-hmm. which is somewhat of a commitment, but not mm-hmm. if you're 
you know, right. this is where your heart is. People get trained. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have to get a background clearance, and they take a 30-hour training course. So yeah. the people that are in in the volunteer ranks, mm-hmm. this is really a huge public service. This is. This is. It was also, you have to be at least 21 years or older. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting about that, though, is because, and I, I want to mention that because sometimes we have students who are fresh out of high school or like 19, 20 years old and some kind of way they heard about us and their mind automatically goes back to like maybe a classmate that they had. And it's like, man, nobody was ever advocating for that person. Mm. And so now they want to come back and be involved. Mm. And I have to tell them, come back when you're yeah. 21. And by the time they're 21, they're already doing other things. And Looking for a job. Yeah. At, at, at school or they done mm-hmm. moved away or whatever it is. Uh, so then we try to take those those kind of students and say, okay, let's see if we can find some kind of internship. That's that what you I'm thinking. Do, you know, and so that's, that's usually what be we involved, do. Be involved, but not that's an right. actual that's advocate. Because right. they, they have to have some level of maturity. That's right. Because I can see when I was back, uh-huh. Before I, not, I don't know if I was any more mature at 21 than that's I was right. at 20. That's right. That's right. But I mean, I can see people getting pulled in emotionally, that's and it. you do have to stay that's not right. detached, but you have to be able to see the big picture. That's right. What's in the child's will, best interest? I will say this about our our 21s and and those who are around that age, or a little bit older in that age, when they're going out and advocate for the children. Um, like you said, they still kind of have a little bit of an adolescent mindset mm-hmm. themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's so easy for them to get really uh, involved with the child and be very playful with a child. It's really a cool thing to see, mm-hmm. actually, uh, compared to the the 62-year-old retired teacher. <laughs> yeah, who's <laughs> worn out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, so that that is a cool aspect within itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like you say, you talk about the time restraints that this kind of program has. It is a bit time-consuming. And when, you know, we have an actual job description of the Casa Volunteer. And when you look at that job description, and it's, it's a little bit just as much as, like, my job description or, yeah. or, or my advocate supervisors or volunteer coordinator's job description. But uh, and it's still a, a free gig that you're getting yourself into. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of have to remind people that because— but at the same time, it's one of the most rewarding things that you will probably so. ever do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we was talking earlier, and we were saying, I was saying how when somebody gets involved with CASA, I think a lot of people, they have this mind frame already of what they're getting themselves into. And then we start training them. And then it's like the eyes that open so uh-huh. much wider. Mm-hmm. And I love it, me, because that means we've, we've actually clicked something in your head. That means that something mm-hmm. is there that you've been able to kind of see and it's like, whoa. And then for some people, it's like, don't know if I can do this, which is fine. You know, it's not made for everyone, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, But that's good because they probably do know during training that this isn't what I thought. Absolutely. Absolutely. You don't want somebody that's not fit. and, And from the whole total aspects of it, of, you know, what kind of what we're teaching at training uh, is for some people may require them to step outside of their comfort zone a little bit and or go into areas of our community that they don't normally travel on a daily basis. Uh, and so kind of being able to, to feel comfortable to do those type of things, as well as one thing that we teach our, 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 volu- our volunteer advocates is to understand that the fact that when a child comes into care, uh, a lot of people are, we say that, that, well, let me say this. We say that the best interest is what we want for the child. Mm-hmm. So we advocate for the best interest of the child. Uh, our judge would also say that it is his obligation to reunify children with their parents. And so we also feel that, you know, if you're going to, if we want to reunify children with parents, we understand that wholeheartedly. That means that as a volunteer advocate, even though your job is to advocate for the child, you have to be involved with what's going on with the bio parents. Every bio parent that has to that comes involved with a case like this, they're given a case plan. We want you to know what's on that advocate on that. I'm sorry, on that bio parents mm-hmm. case plan, and so that you can also report on mom has done this, that, and the third. Right. In order for you to say that, in order for us to make those recommendations to if a child should return home or not, we can't have just two or three contacts. 
with the bio parents in a year span or in a year and a half span and feel completely comfortable with saying that we want to reunify that child with their mom. You've barely spoken to them. And so that's uh, some of the things that, you know, we've kind of changed a little bit in mm-hmm. our, with our programs more specifically is, you know, being more involved with the bio parents and not only being more involved, but actually being a valuable resource mm-hmm. to those bio parents, being able to say, hey, uh, if you're having trouble with housing or if you're having trouble with your utilities, let me know because I'm going to go talk to somebody at United Way to see how we can make a referral on your behalf. Mm-hmm. That's the good thing about our relationship with United exactly. Way now is that yeah. we've been able to provide more resources or more referrals, I should say, to families. Mm-hmm. And not just families that are with CASA, but other families that just reach out to us. Because more than anything, we want to prevent children from coming into care more than anything. You know, we don't want them to see, we have enough already in care, you know, right. as you can imagine. We have more than enough already in care. And we want to try to prevent children from coming into care. So if that means simple things as helping parents meet certain resources that they just don't know how to turn to or who to turn to about, then that's what we're here for as well. I have a question. You mentioned bio parents and then you said return them to mom. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know, just anecdotally, the parents, is it typically a a mother or do you see a mother and a father? Typically it is. Typically it is a mother um, or if there's was a father involved, um, he may not be in the picture anymore or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, so the but, children could be neglected just because of correct. many things, huh? Correct, correct. Um, sometimes when I'm— um, Sometimes when I'm in, if we have court and, you know, we don't usually have delinquents uh, for our hearing, but in some parishes, they may have child in need of care cases the same day as they have juvenile delinquent cases. Um, And so when I'm sitting there and I'm kind of listening to some of those cases, too, at times, uh, one of the things that I just notice right off the bat is if that young man who is 14 years old got pulled, got stopped or whatever because on robbery, you know, silly things like that. Uh, one thing that I tell from right jump is this child doesn't have no actual male role right. model. There's in no their influence life, in no their life. No kind of influence in their life. And so that that, that is my my future vision. That's what's it's, heartbreaking. Yeah, that is, that is my vision right there one day is to kind mm-hmm. of do something like that as well as to try to find advocates right. for ju- juvenile delinquents as well. But do you go even deeper, yeah. Cade, and— um, I think about these young children that have disrupted families, mm-hmm. and they're not shown. They're not able to show up for school, right. rested, peaceful, right. ready to learn. That's right. If it's if it's crazy at home, that's right. Or that's ne- right. they're neglected, or if the child has to be the parent at home. Yeah, you know. I yeah. mean, they just don't have a fair shot to get ahead right. for their life. That's right. That's and you right. You hear about these young men in particular. You're talking about yep. by 14. Yep. That is so sad. Making but it's those so kind of common. Mistakes. Yep. Very common, very common. And like I said, there's just the lack of uh, some kind of adult that is more relatable to them to be that way of a role model and show them the right way of mm-hmm. doing things. And like this is this is a, a funny story. I'll actually say this is more about my, my personal life. But my nephew, who uh, is— 15 now, which is, wow, just mm-hmm. so crazy. You're double his age. Yeah, yeah I know, right? right. Actually, <laughs> you know what? He Such might an old be, man, Cade. I know, right? <laughs> he's, he's 16 now, actually. He's 16. Uh, he just well, turned 16. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's, it's so funny because uh, I talk to him, and, and I tell him, like, he, he's very into pop culture and all this kind of stuff, and he see all these these young like rappers and all this kind of stuff, and he see what these people are wearing, the clothes and all this kind of stuff. And so what I told him one day was, I said, look, that's all cool that you have these kind of people that influence you, all this kind of stuff. That is great. But what you see in a 30-second Instagram video or a 20-second TikTok is not those people's complete life. So you need to remember that just because it looks like gold, mm-hmm. it could smell like something else you know, uh, when you get to it. Not so good. That's right. And so always remember that like these, these people, yeah, it seems like they have the perfect life. 
That's because they're not going to broadcast unless it's reality television. They're mm-hmm. not going to broadcast the bad stuff, you know, yeah. uh, or unless somebody else puts them on blast about it. You know, I said, so what you see from them is not all it's just a frame. Basically, it's just mm-hmm. what they want you to see. But you don't know what happened before they press record. You don't know what happened after they, they yell cut. You don't know who that person cursed out, who that person threw something at. You know, all this kind of kind of verbal abuse that person kind of gives to the people that they surround. You think that this person is so wonderful. But if you actually probably ask the people that's close to them, they might not think that they, that right. person is that wonderful. But because we as society have made this person a popular person, then... That's how we are mm. to believe that's how their life is. He's lucky to have you because he's probably got several influences, right, in that's his right. life. But that's he's right. got somebody that tells him to sit down and listen. That's right. That's right. You know, that's I need right. to help you here. And that's right. I'm on your team. That's right. That's right. Let's, talk, let's be real. That's right. That's right. And, yeah. and that's I think that's one of the biggest things, too, that I, I take that same message and I preach that to our advocates, too. Mm. And I say, you know, letting these kids know, hey, you know, just because you see things going this way, that seems so gold, that seems so good, doesn't always mean that it's always good. Uh, and But teaching them actual life lessons, and so especially like our older youth that we have in our program, we, we, we try to go out our way to make sure that our, our older youth have some kind of financial literacy, knowing how to write checks, knowing how to use a credit card and not overspend on your credit card and all this kind of, I have those problems now too, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's, it's to try to catch those children at this age now, that way when they're, t- they're a dumb 23 year old, mm-hmm. <laughs> they're not making those same mistakes and right. everything. So right. that, that's one thing about our program is it's not just about, uh, it's not just about, you know, seeing a child writing reports, it's actually making a positive impact. Mm-hmm. And like our, our national uh, market right now is, is saying, our, our national campaign is changing a, changing a child's story. And that's what we want to do. We want to change a child's story. Uh, one thing I tell people all the time is that, you know, when you come and work with CASA, you know, we are in the changing lives business. We get these 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 standards affidavits that's the beginning of a case of a child. It is so horrific. You know, it's, this has this has happened. Drug exposed, newborn, uh, uh, neglect, uh, whatever, physical abuse. We hear those stories. And as sad as they are, mm-hmm. we know it. We read about it. And after we've understood what happened, okay. How do we proceed forward? And that's not that child's, they didn't do anything. Correct. Correct. It's not the child's fault. It's not the child's fault. But it's from that point on of we recognize this abuse and neglect, but we're not going to dwell on it. You know, we understand that this happened, but now it's how do we move forward from Mm -hmm. this? How do we make sure that mom and dad is getting the treatment that they need? How do we make sure that this child, now that they done switched schools, that they are receiving the proper education that they need. Because if this school, that's something that happens too. If at one school, this child had an IEP and the IEP didn't follow the child to the next school. What's an IEP? So individual education plan. Sorry. Okay. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Sorry. So uh, IEPs is for a lot of children. I say a lot of children, but not a, not in the majority of your schools, but in, in many of your schools, uh IEP individual education plan is this plan that's for certain children who uh, may need some further assistance than other right than other students. And so, if you have a child that gets placed in the foster care, mm-hmm. and say they move parishes, you know, yeah. they don't. The other parish doesn't know that this child had IEP. They just enroll. Foster parent might not be aware of it. Mm-hmm. And so, sometimes that's one thing that we tell our advocates. Uh, when they come back to us and tell us Johnny is doing so bad in school, like he he he's not passing, he he's having trouble staying awake and all of this kind of stuff, and it's like, okay, well, what school was Johnny at before? Oh, he was at Lafayette Middle, you know. Okay, well, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to Lafayette Middle, call Lafayette Middle, ask for Johnny's school records, ask if there is an IEP. Chances are. The IEP didn't get it to Crowley Middle or whatever it may be. Uh, and so once we bring that, then these teachers now know, oh, okay, this makes a lot of sense because I was wondering why Johnny was just not paying attention in my class, you know. And now they know how we can go ahead and progress with this child. Those are the different things that the advocate can do for a child. And, you know, you would think, you know, oh, well, shouldn't DCFS be able to do all that? 
Yeah, well, but DCFS yeah. has Johnny, Jan, mm-hmm. you know, Chris, everybody else that they have to do as well. Yeah. And so sometimes those little things do fall through the cracks. And they make a big difference. And it makes a big difference in that yeah. child's life. And that's what the value is of having a CASA volunteer. So you started at CASA before COVID hit. Yes. And I'm curious, I mean, I, I know anecdotally I've heard abuse cases, neglect have gone up. Is that what mm-hmm. you've seen? Absolutely. I think COVID was um, a very interesting time, as as you can imagine it was for everyone. Um, but for us, it was more of how do we do what we do that requires a lot of meetings, a lot of uh, driving and going out to different places on top of continuing to serve. And then like I said, a lot of our advocates, middle age, retired already. They didn't want to be exposed to you things. You know, right? Yeah. And, and it wasn't safe for them mm-hmm. to be out there. So we kind of had to find alternatives for them to do what they need to do, handle those visits and everything as well. Um, but it was a really interesting time because we were still having children being removed. Mm-hmm. I think we was probably experiencing more children being removed yeah. during COVID than we were. Well, domestic uh, violence went up. Correct, too. correct. Yeah, because people staying in the house more. Um, I think before COVID, I could tell you before COVID, we was probably down to like maybe 280 children. Uh, that in the was three just, parishes. In the three parishes and just the 15th JDC. Uh, so but then during COVID and up to now, we're up to like 350 children. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just how much they've increased. And now, of course, we've lost some along the way that either their case is close to reunification yeah. or uh, reunification, adoption, or like I said, they could possibly age out. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, that's still an uptick from where we were just three years ago at this yeah. time. Yeah. You know, uh, to say we was only serving, we only had 270 children in foster care to 350 children. Big gap, huge mm-hmm. gap. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like you said, people having to stay inside and everything caused that to more calls to be made, more investigations to be made, more children being removed mm-hmm. from care. And what the, the, the problem with that for us, especially for our program, was. We have more children coming to care, but we're we're not gaining as many advocates as we had before. And we actually started losing some advocates because of COVID and it not being safe. We're kind of starting to get back to those numbers of where we used to serve children. Right now, we're serving about maybe 70, close to 70 children. But that's 70 out of 330, 350 yeah. children. Right. So we definitely, we always are looking for more voices for these children. Um, like I said, I know everything that I said makes it sound so tiring, but the good thing about this is we don't send people out there to do this on their own. You know, we have a really great staff back at our office um, that is that's their job Mm -hmm. is to be the sounding board, be the resources for our advocates when they're out there in the field. Um, We tell advocates, if you don't feel comfortable about anything that you do, come and talk to us Mm -hmm. about it before you go do it, because we want you to feel absolutely 100% confident mm-hmm. in advocating for these children because that's what these children deserve, your 100% confidence. And well, if you give them that, you know, right. you give them the very best. Very best. I'm hoping people listen to this yeah. and they want to know a lot more about CASA. Absolutely. So say the website again, please. Yeah, so you could just visit CASA of SOLA. So that's C-A-S-A-O-F-S-O-L-A dot org. org. And people may want to contribute if they can't volunteer. And I know in the intro I was saying you have both private and public Mm -hmm. funding sources. So Mm -hmm. you do fundraise and people can contribute. It's a 501c3. Absolutely. Absolutely. You want to donate to CASA. It's it's really easy. It's um, something that you could use for when tax season come off and and we'll send you a nice little letter to show you how much you contributed to the organization. Um, But yes, Donating to CASA is very important. One thing, one thing about it for sure is that uh, we get government funding through the Louisiana State Supreme Court for uh, temporary, what is called temporary assistance for needy families. It's TANF dollars is what we receive. But 
uh, and all of the CASA programs across the state receive those ten of dollars, and so we have to share that money. And then, but there's other aspects of it that we still need more funding mm -hmm. for uh, for certain staff members and things like that, as well as well as uh, for volunteer retention and trainings and. Uh, all of these things that we do to kind of continue our services, mm -hmm. you know, cause us to have needing of extra dollars, as you would imagine. Right. Um, so there is three ways that people could donate to CASA. You can make a one-time donation on our website. Uh, you can make become a monthly donor. Uh, and the third feature, which I think is really cool, is like that acorn. If you ever seen Ashton Kutcher talk about acorn, oh, yeah. uh, and the, it's the roundup thing. So what you could do is you sign either your debit or credit card up on our website. And so every time you use that card from that point on, uh, each month, every little thing that you purchase, it'll round it up to the nearest dollar. The total sense that's been rounded up will be given back to the organization. That's wonderful. That is pretty cool, right? People don't really miss that. It's, exactly, yeah. exactly. And so wow. I, that, that's one of my favorite features that, hmm. that I think I, I tell people, like, hey, just go ahead and do this. And then you wouldn't even notice that. <laughs> it's easier to balance. You that's know? right. That's right. Yeah. It's true. I know decimals at that point. That's right. <laughs> that's right. numbers. That's right. Well, Jason, um, Sakura has been taping our show, and uh, I see you've got some I, notes I, you've I have, written. I have all sorts of notes. Well, first of all, thank you for being here, Cade. Thank you, Jason. Um, so first I want to say one very interesting thing about Acadiana is the amount of community supporting community, mm -hmm. which I don't think you get everywhere in the United States like you mm -hmm. do kind of down here in the South. Right. Um, so with that, yeah, even $5, just that's a cup of coffee for most people Correct. in the morning. Correct. Right? And it, it's really nothing off of you, so let's make sure to support, you know, things like this. That's right. Uh, so in terms of volunteers, you talked about advocates. Are there other opportunities to volunteer, uh, whether it's providing a home or do you guys take interns, things like that? Absolutely. And so, well, if anybody was interested in <clears throat> being a part of a, or a foster parent, um, they do have to do that through Department of Children and Family Services. Okay, that's what I figured. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but we do have events throughout mm -hmm. the year, like um, – we have our CASA Social, which is coming up, where we recognize our advocates yeah. who have been with our program, and we give them their service pins. We're going to award our outstanding advocates at this event. It's actually coming up on August 24th at the uh, Rooftop 116, okay. uh, right across from the Vermilion Park and Tower. And so— we always kind of look for volunteers to kind of just help with set up for that kind of stuff. Same thing for our superhero celebration. Jan was one of our former superheroes back in 2022. And um, it was- We had to wear a cape. That's right. They got to wear a <laughs> oh, cape. Oh, really? Yeah, it was pretty I was, fun. As I said, we know who the real superheroes yes. are. <laughs> uh, but we need- Volunteers to help out with check-in for those kind of events mm -hmm. and then setting okay, up for yeah. those kind of events as well. Uh, in October, we do a trunk or treat. Ever. We did with last year with Little Blessings Academy. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, uh, preschool. Uh, so we're doing it again. I just got confirm confirmation today that they want to do that again with us this year. Uh, so we need volunteers definitely for that, whether mm -hmm. that it be a supplier trunk for that event, or maybe it might just be that they, last year they needed somebody to help with just the setup again, or the, the serving of passing out waters. They had jambalaya, so fixing bowls of jambalaya and things like that. So anybody who wants to just volunteer as far as events go again they could just go to our website casasola.org and let us know if they want to volunteer on there or on United Way's website United Way of Acadiana their website they have the volunteer center mm -hmm. if they go on the volunteer center they could fill out an interested volunteer form on there as well that's nice. awesome yeah. well and part of the reason I say that is even mm -hmm. around here at the office here at Raider we talk about you know what's going to be the next event that we try to all get together and volunteer for Yeah, this is perfect so if you have a small business out there and you're looking to give back. Absolutely. Perfect opportunity. Uh, so before the podcast, we were talking a bit about emotional stability and, and just, I don't know, like this whole separate deep dive, right, about yeah. just trying to grow up and figure out who you are. Um, and you, 29 years old, an incredible amount of emotional maturity here in this room. <laughs> I, I figured you were kind of more my age, mid-40s, yeah. and, and I was not where you are at 29 years old. Where does that come from? I think really more than anything comes from my parents growing up. Okay. You know, um, my parents, so one, 
my parents had me uh, a little later than they had their other two children. And so you were a surprise. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. basically, yeah. you know, uh, my, let's see, my, my oldest brother is 15 years older than me. Oh, and, my, and my older wow. brother, my older brother is 11 years older than me. And so and going back to talking about my nephew, that's kind of like how I look at my nephew more than anything. Mm-hmm. He's more like a little brother to me than yeah. he actually is my nephew. And it's because we kind of like the same age gap between him and myself. And it is like me and my oldest brother, okay, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, but my parents are both retired educators and have been in the school system. They get dedicated 30 plus years to the school system. My dad was an administrator in Terrebonne and Lafouche Parish. Uh, my mom uh, was a special education coordinator uh, for Lafouche Parish for over 30 some years. Uh, and so I really think I get everything that is who I am. I get told all the time that I'm an old soul and I'm okay with it, you know, because I am an old soul because like at nine o'clock, I'm going to bed, you know. Uh, I was talking to somebody the other day and he was telling me something about how he was doing something until three in the morning. I was like, I'd have been so mad at you. (laughs) I'd have been so mad at you. But that's really, yeah, like I said, that's, I think I, 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 I'll, have to give it to them. A lot of their friends that used to come around the house was their age as well. And so um, being around, I guess, a, a older generation has kind of groomed me into the man mm-hmm. that I am today. I can see that. That, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, awesome. And then finally, what's what's the most fulfilling part of this job for you? What's like the, the thing that every time it happens, it this brings a huge smile to your face. I can tell you what I, I do love. I don't get to experience it often as much because I, I don't go to court as often as my staff does. Um, but when we're in a courtroom and there's this mom and dad uh, that have done everything that they're supposed to do, completed their case plan, and we're at this hearing. This hearing is set to, we know what's about to happen. We're about to close this case and reunify the these children with mom and dad, right? But even still then, it's like when you're in that moment and Judge DePlanche says, you know, congratulations, mom. You've done everything that we've asked of you. We want, we're going to go ahead at this time and uh, return custody of your child back to you. And we relinquish jurisdiction. And Judge will stand up and start clapping oh. and walk oh, off man. the bench oh, and yeah. go give that family a hug. Man, it gets I'm me smiling every, just yeah, thinking yeah, about it. It gets right? me every time. Like I, I, I'm getting goosebumps just th- talking yeah. about it right now. But mm-hmm. it gets me every time because that's what it's about to me. To me, I think to me that's what is our goal is for a child to achieve safety and permanency. And last year, between uh, the 2022 and 2023 fiscal year, 75 percent of our children either were returned home to their parents. Or was custody was given to a close relative. Mm-hmm. That's, That's wonderful. Fantastic. Yeah, that that to me that that makes me so proud to say mm-hmm. that. You know, just to say that um, before that number was a little lower. You know, I think it was like sixty forty with reunifications and adoptions. Okay. At the end of the day, it's always good that the child receives safety and permanency. But I also like to take, think that that all goes back to us teaching our advocates. We need to do all that we can to help these bio parents out as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so to say that we have a 75% rate reunification or custody to a relative, it's pretty good. That is. That, that is fantastic. Yeah. Man. Well, Cade, thanks again for coming down here, man. Thank and you. Jan, thank you for bringing, like, awesome guests all the time and letting me, like, <laughs> ask My pleasure. I love those. Kate Turner, Executive Director of Court Appointed Special Advocates, or yes. CASA. Thank you for your service to our hey. community and for your time today. Thank you all so much. It really was a great honor to be here, and I really appreciate everything for giving us this platform to continue to talk about the great work that CASA yeah. is doing. Thank you. Thank you so much. I want to thank our loyal listeners also. If you haven't subscribed yet, you can subscribe to Discover Lafayette wherever you get your podcast. And this is, our, I think, our 325th interview. I looked online today. So, Kate, that's a magic number. I think you're bringing us good luck. We've been doing this weekly for six years. So you can go to discoverlafayette.net and see a listing of all of our guests. And it's it's just a treasure trove of community leaders such as yourself. Thank you for listening to Discover Lafayette. This is Jan Swift. <laughs>